Good morning, everyone. I'm wearing my mask today because I'm recovering from a cold, and I think it's because I haven't been wearing my mask that I caught the cold, but um, I'm doing okay. I am so happy to see everyone. Um, it just makes my heart glad. I see so many faces of people that I've journeyed with for a long time, and I really love you, and it's such a privilege to be back um, for the short time. Okay, are you ready for a quiz? Okay, I'm sorry it's so cheesy, and there's a clue to your first answer. So who do mice pray to? Well, next one is cheeses. That's who. <laughs> um, I can look like a T, I can look like an X, I can be found on chains and hung around people's necks. What am I? A cross, correct. Which biblical character grew up without parents? Yes, Joshua, son of Nun. <laughs> Right, and on the day before Christmas, what did Adam say? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> and which book of the Bible will you find the story, the lion, the wench, and the wardrobe? Anyone know? No, it's the wench, not the witch. Well, it's actually from our text today, which is in Judges 15, and it's all about Samson. Let's uh, pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you that you warm our hearts today. Lord, we ask that your word will inspire us, Lord, will teach us, will rebuke us, will change us. And Father, this morning, I pray that you stir us up as your spirit moves among us to not just be listeners to the word, but also to be doers of it. Lord, we praise you this morning for this beautiful day, and we thank you that we have a chance together to just speak about the most precious thing on earth, which is you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I nearly fell off my chair when I was looking through the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, and I saw this name pop out, and it was Samson, and I couldn't believe it. I mean, Samson is in the same sentence with David and Samuel, and I just thought, wow, um, I never thought of Samson in that way. I mean, Samson um, is on the list of a hero of faith, and I, I'd never really thought of him as a man of faith. So when you think of Samson, there are pictures which come to my mind. I mean, I'm thinking of, you know, he was physically strong, but he was also uh, weak around women, right? Um, he was blinded by love and by his passions. He had this incredible temper, and he was a violent man. Um, he takes revenge on those who upset him, and he rebels against God and his disobedience. So, like, you can understand why I couldn't match the two together. But there he is in the Hall of Faith, famous and always written. I think it must have been inserted after I first read it, but I don't think so. Samson's story is in the book of Judges, and it was recorded about a thousand years ago, before the birth, a thousand years before the birth of Christ, it's a book about sin and consequence. And as you dig into the stories, of course, there's much more. God's people at this time, the Israelites, are already in the promised land, but these are dark and disappointing days. Israel has become spiritually lazy. They disobey God, and they even worship the foreign gods of the Lord's enemies. Can you imagine? They've abandoned their faith, and they are stoking the fires of the Lord's anger and his jealousy. And they enter what is called the cycles of sin. And I'm sure you all know this. Um, Andrew would have taught you, but I'm just going to recap. Israel would then worship the gods of the Lord's enemies. They sin against God. 
And then the Lord will raise up an oppressor as a discipline. You disobey me, I'm going to raise up someone to oppress you. And then Israel cries out, oh, sorry, Lord, we're being oppressed. Help us, help us. And because the Lord is kind and compassionate, he delivers his people by raising up a judge, a hero, to help the Israelites conquer the oppressor and lead the people from into freedom and worshiping um, of the true God. But here's the thing. The judges were not perfect people. In fact, the leaders became weaker and weaker, both spiritually and morally, as the years went by. So there were 12 judges of Israel, and guess where Samson sits? He's the last one. So um, let's have a look at how he is. But when we read about his life, you are going to be shocked at his behavior as the so-called deliverer. Samson's not a good example, so please, people, don't go home and tell your children, please be like Samson. <laughs> but there are lessons that we can learn about God and how he works through his people, even if they are disobedient. And that's what's comforting to me. Let's go to Judges 13 and see where we are introduced to the oppressor of Israel. And it is in Judges 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. So they've become enslaved and oppressed by the Philistines. These guys are the, are the baddies. They've been around forever, and they've always been the enemy of God. And they're the sea people, and they worship Dagon. There's that picture of that man-fish um, god. They were fierce warriors, and there were huge numbers of them. And of course, you know, Goliath was from the Philistine camp, this huge giant, and they were experts at war. And the thing that, that gave them the upper hand in war was that they knew how to make weapons out of irons, out of iron. And then the Lord allowed the Philistine to rule over the Israelites because of their sin. But it was time now to raise up a deliverer. And the hero was going to be Samson. He was to be this legend, a warrior, a leader born to deliver Israel from the, from the evil oppressor. And his calling was actually established before he was even born. He was a true wonder boy, a miracle baby. So I'm just reading on here where we meet his parents, a man of Zora named Manoah from the clan of Dan, the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Doesn't this sound familiar? Hmm? This is a miracle a miracle baby. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because this boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to the Lord from the womb. And in verse 7 further on it says, until his death, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This child was to be set apart as a Nazarite, and he was going to grow up to be Israel's leader. And what an incredible destiny um, that laid before him. His parents were godly, and they would make sure that they raised this baby boy according to the Lord's will for him. Simon's parents were given a manual on how to raise this child. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't we all like a manual for our children? The manual was the Nazarite. So this is, let's have a look at some of the laws that they were told to do. So it's found in number six. I'm not reading them all, but they were to be set apart and holy. 
They weren't allowed anything to do with the vine. No alcohol, no grape vinegar, no grape juice, no raisins, no grapes, no skins, no pips, nothing to do with the vine. Never cut your hair, never touch, uh, go near, never go near a dead body or touch anything unclean, offer special sacrifices and offerings to the Lord. I mean, his whole life was to be consecrated, dedicated, and devoted to the Lord. He was to put God first. And he was set apart for God. He had a holy calling. He had holy vows, and he was called to holy living. And by the way, all of us who are in Christ have the same calling. We too are set apart. We too have made vows to the Lord when we confessed and when we promised to follow him. And we too are called to holiness. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. So then... In Judges 13, we see the baby's born, and his name is Samson. He grew, listen to this, his parents were amazing. He grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. So Samson had a great start to life. Wow, it couldn't have been better. He'd been raised according to the Torah. His parents would have prayed for him and done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord blessed him. His name means sunny, like a bright, strong sun. And the Holy Spirit was powerfully present in his life and started to stir Samson's heart for action. He was completely prepared to do what the Lord was calling him to do. He was raised in a godly home in the presence of the Lord. And if ever there was a man to succeed, it was Samson. If ever there was a man with spiritual blessing, it was Samson. But as it turns out... Although he was listed as a man of faith, Samson was not faithful at all. So it's really, really, really very painful to watch your child, whom you've raised up in the presence of the Lord, in your home, in a Christian home, only to turn away and walk away from faith in Christ. It's painful to watch this. And then walk straight into the ways of the world. In Capricorn, where I serve, many of the children grow up in church, and once they reach, not even adulthood, once they reach pre-teens, 11, 12, even teenagers, many of them just are drawn into wrong places to do wrong things, and they are giants like Philistines in our land. And where, we, where I'm serving, it's like the gods of gangsterism and drugs and alcohol and crime and sex that just draw these young ones away. And the trouble often begins when these ones search for love and acceptance in the wrong places. You know, Samson, God's chosen leader of Israel, goes looking for love in the wrong places too. In Judges chapter 4, where we are focusing now today, we see Samson takes five steps in the wrong directions. You know, some of us have actually done these five steps. Um, perhaps not all of them, um, but it's going to lead to failure if we pursue this path. The first thing he does is he disrespected his parents. And I want to say that when he disrespects his parents, he's also dishonoring the Lord because his parents were under the headship of the Lord. And he told them, teach your son this. So Samson, now Judges 14, 1 to 4, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there was a young Philistine girl. And when he returned, he said to his father, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. 
His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable girl among the relatives, among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. Can you hear this spoiled guy? He's not sp- his parents probably didn't spoil him, but look how he's behaving. Actually, the ESV says it better. It says, she is right in my eyes, which is a problem among the Israelites because in the Judges we read, and it's said more than once, that the Israelites were doing what is right in their eyes, which is the problem. So the first public act he does, as now ready to being stirred by the Holy Spirit and go now and listen to the Lord, he literally at this moment goes downhill spiritually. He goes down to Timnah, which is just over six kilometers walk, and he enters the Philistine land. I mean, if you're going to go to wrong places, you will reach wrong people. And if you have a look, you can see where there's a little arrow from um, Zora to Timnah. And he sees this Philistine woman, and for Samson, it's like love at first sight. He didn't even speak to her. He doesn't know anything about her, and he was immediately attracted to her. I mean, this is not true love. This is true lust at first sight, isn't it? Samson said, um, uh, someone said, Samson is living through his eyeballs, which I thought quite funny. (laughs) So he turns around, according to family custom, goes to his parents and says, get her for me as a wife. And of course, the parents push back and say, no, 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 don't marry. She's an enemy of the Lord. She's a Philistine. Rather marry a good Jewish girl. These parents are trying to redirect his brain because they know God's word and it's against the law and it will lead to idolatry. So in Exodus 34, um, I'm taking you back to the two places where it's quite clear and I'm just reading a part. It says, and when you choose some of their daughters, he's talking about those in the land, as wives for your son and those daughters prostitute themselves to gods, they will lead your sons to do the same. If you're marrying into another culture and religion, you're going to experience a shift in your own faith. Deuteronomy 7, verse 1 to 4, it says, Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters and their sons to take their daughters for their so- your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and very quickly destroy you. This is what Samson's parents had taught him. This is an awkward subject, but actually many people can testify that there are complications which result when a believer marries an unbeliever, a believer in Christ. Now, the Bible does say that the unbeliever is made holy, isn't it? The spouse is made holy in the marriage. But it's going to affect the way you raise your children. It's going to affect the way you do things as a couple. It's going to affect the way that you use your money and spend your time. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14 says... Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Samson's parents had every right to refuse to go fetch this enemy of the Lord for, his, uh, for their daughter-in-law. Can you just believe his cheeky response? You know, he's so disrespectful. Just get her for me. She's the right one for me. Yo, my dad would have clapped me right there. <laughs> now, I want to read this next verse very carefully. Because it actually is um, written as a side note. It's in uh, brackets. It's, like a, it's not a footnote, but it's put there um, as a little afterthought. His parents, verse 4, did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel. 
point is that God is at work in the background. He knows all about Samson. He knows Samson's heart is inclined towards rebellion and stubbornness. God knows him. And God would work through this weakness to deliver Israel. He wanted to use Samson as a mighty deliverer of God's people, but Samson has his own plans. So God then sets something up to work through Samson's will to accomplish his plans for his people. Does that make sense? God is not put off by our wills. Warren Wesby says God will accomplish his purposes either with us or in spite of us. The second thing he does wrong, second step he takes is he disregarded his vow. And I'm using the message translation only because it tells a nicer story and it makes it more clear. So then Samson goes down to Timnah with his father. He must have got separated. He goes on a little detour and he gets to, see this, the vineyards of Timnah. And a young lion came out roaring and the spirit of God came on him powerfully. See, his power doesn't come from his own body. It comes from God. And then he rips open, uh, the mouth open, rips it open, barehanded, like tearing a young goat. But he doesn't tell his parents what he's done, because they probably would have said, "You've touched something dead. You're unclean. Turn around." He keeps quiet, and then he goes down, spoke to the woman, and in Samson's eyes, she was the one. Then some days later, he comes back to her, he gets a little detour again to look at what is left of the lion, and there, a wonder, a swarm of bees in a lion's carcass, and honey, and he scoops it up in his hand, and he keeps going, eating as he went. Then he rejoins his father and mother and gives them some, and they ate, but he didn't tell them that this had been scooped out of the lion's carcass. See, twice, doesn't tell his parents. Because what is a Nazarite, first of all, doing near a vineyard? Have nothing to do with a vineyard. Going close to a vineyard was too close. And what was the Nazarite doing eating honey from the carcass? It would have made him unclean. And of course, he's made his parents spiritually, ceremonially unclean as well. So now he's done this deliberately. He couldn't say, oops, I made a mistake. No, he knows what he's doing. He's rebelling against what he's been taught. So we make vows before the Lord. When we marry, uh, when we dedicate our children before the church, we promise to raise our children in a Christian home and that we will rely on the church to help us. And um, when we're baptized, we promise the Lord that, you know, we choose him. We choose you. Only you is the Lord of our lives and that we'd live our lives out for him. And the question is, how's that going for you? How's that going? Have you kept your word? Are you still devoted to the Lord? Is God first in your heart? Do you take your promises to God seriously? Now, of course, in James 5, it says, don't make like big vows and things like that. Just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Um, don't fall into condemnation. But in Mark 7, verse 6, Jesus says to the Pharisees, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I think it's more in that line. When we speak to the Lord and we make promises to the Lord, we just ask the Lord, we say, Lord, I, I want to start a new thing. I want you to start a new thing in me, Lord, please. And then we just go back to sleep. <laughs> we need to take what we say to the Lord seriously. Third thing he did was he made bad friends. 
Now his father went down to see the woman, maybe it's a custom um, about the dowry, and there Samson had a feast as was customary for men, and the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. So he's having a bachelor party that's going to last seven years, and of course, without a doubt, even though it's not written, there's going to be alcohol there. And it's not with his Jewish friends. These are 30 Philistine men who are gathered at the party. Maybe his own male companions would have refused to go down into that area and said, no, I'm not going with you. We're not doing a party there. We're not going to that wedding. It's not explained, but here he is sitting with strangers in the enemy territory. But Samson doesn't have male companions. He doesn't have an army. He isolates himself and acts alone. Do you agree? He's now away from his crowd. You know, it's this thing about iron sharpens iron, you know. Be with people who can help you um, stay in the right direction. He had no real friends to support him. And the people we gather are really important around us. 1 Corinthians says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts the character. King David knew how important friendship was. He says, I do not spend time with liars or go with hypocrites. I hate the gatherings of those who do evil, and I refuse to join in with the wicked. I wash my hands and declare my innocent. I come to your altar, O Lord, singing a song of thanksgiving and telling of your wonders. This is Psalm 26. In Capricorn, friends are the biggest influences ever. Parents can speak and speak and speak and speak, but if the friends say it, the pressure is on. And this is a huge turning point in many of their lives. What about your friendships? Are you isolating? Are you struggling in your journey of faith? Because there are people that will encourage you. I need people to encourage me. Even though I'm in the word, I still need people to help me work through what the Lord is calling me to do. And it's a really good and important to have people around you, people, good people, who are for you, not against you. The fourth problem that Samson had was that he joked about his sin. So he makes this joke about breaking his vows, and he puts it in a riddle, which was why I tested your riddle skills earlier. He's now sitting at the wedding, a banquet, and he says, let me tell you a riddle. If you can give me the answer with the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. And if you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. It's just a friendly wager. He said, they said, tell us your riddle and let us hear it. And he replied, out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. We can work it out. But for three days, they couldn't give an answer. And on the fourth day, they went to Samson's wife, <clears throat> coax your husband into telling the answer for the riddle, or we're going to burn you, and we're going to burn your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to steal our property? You know, we don't want friends like this, do you agree? These are really bad people. <laughs> and these are the friends that are now celebrating with Samson. I haven't even explained it to my mother or father, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? Can you imagine? That's not really a romantic thing to say. But then she goes and cries for seven days of the feast. And on the seventh day, he finally told her, you know, she didn't stop because she continued to press him and in turn explained the riddle to her people. And so before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what's sweeter than honey? And what's stronger than a lion? And then said to, them, said to them, if you hadn't plowed my heifer, you would not have sold my riddle. That's a bit of a proverb. 
And one pastor said, this is a marriage not getting off to a good start. His wife is crying for seven days. She's manipulating, but she's crying. The companions threatened to murder her and her father, and now he calls his wife a cow. <laughs> you know, it was common in those days to have a bit of fun at her celebration, like a wedding, and they would be in a riddle. But it's the subject of his riddle that's the problem. He makes a joke of his sin. It's bad enough he sinned against God, but next level is to make it into a joke. You know, many of us tend to sort of like deflect and we don't really want to deal with our issues, um, but we make light of what we've done wrong. The thing is, God takes sin seriously. The word says the wages of sin is death. But also the cost of the blood of Jesus poured out to cover that sin is priceless. It's not really a joke. We must just be careful how we joke. You know, like I've heard people say, you know, I got so drunk that I, or um, I just saw this chick and I just grabbed her and, and Jesus is our deliverer once and for all. And what he did for us on the cross is not a joke. So... Yeah, this is what he's doing, and I think it's a bit of an offense, you know. And now that the men have now discovered his riddle, he becomes furious. He's got like a temper, like a volcano. So now here, the fifth thing he does, the fifth and last thing, he murders in order to pay his debt. He's just going one way. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Can you see God's working through this? God's using this temper of his. And he went down to Ashkelon, which is 37 kilometers away, and he struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. So he steals, kills and steals and touches dead bodies again, and then burning with anger, he goes to his father's home, and Samson's wife was then given to one of his companions who attended him at the feast. His anger is unleashed. He kills 30 guys to pay off his debt, gets, steals their clothing off them, and he walks away to Ashkelon. Um, and then what happens is that he leaves. He's so angry, he goes home, he leaves his wife behind, and then now she's given to someone else. That's just a mess. Do you agree? This anger issue causes him to murder, but it's only the beginning of his rage unleashed. If you read on in the next chapters, you just see crazy, crazy has a new level. But I just want to end with some of these thoughts from today's message. You know, did you notice Samson never prayed about anything? You know, he didn't bring any of his confessions before the Lord. He just continued to sin one thing after another. But then also notice that God is, is giving him that brute force because he's using Samson to attack the Philistine, which is Philistines, which is exactly what he wants. He wants... Samson to conquer the Philistines, but he's using his own weaknesses and his own fury to get that done. I'd like to have a look at some of the main points of Samson's chasing into forbidden love. Can you understand the idea of lion, the witch, and the, the wench and the wardrobe? The lion, the woman, and the wardrobe? So he disrespected his parents and so God. He disregarded his vows. He made bad friends. He joked about his sin and he committed murder to pay off his debt. And I would like us just to um, take a few prayer pointers now. Um, I wonder if we can just 
um, can stand and turn and just like just for a minute. So I'd love us to pray for leaders in our community, leaders in church, leaders in um, where I am as well. I still don't have a youth leader and it's been three years. And there's just, I've advertised everywhere, just can't find a leader who's going to lead our youth. They are so vulnerable. So if you can please pray that uh, we can have leaders to take a stand in prayer and also to take a stand in speaking truth and not backing away from the uh, Goliaths and, and all those that are in the land there. And we need people to teach God's word with fire. <laughs> Not just whisper, we need to start shouting aloud the Lord's truth in today's world. And the Lord also wants us to pray for the children who have grown up in homes that our Christian have just walked away. Can we just do that? If you can just stand or turn or just pray quietly, just two things. Pray for more leaders to come and work in the harvest field, whether it's here or anywhere. Just raise up, Lord, the season of raising up leaders. And secondly, just to start praying for the lost sheep. Amen? Let's just pray. Father, you teach us that even though we start a life in a godly home, doesn't mean that we are not prone to fall into the traps of sin. Father, we know that you will accomplish your will and even work through the lives of your people who are disobedient and have gone astray. Lord, you are at work despite the evil we see all around us. And Lord, because of your great love and mercy, you will remember our cry. And despite the, all that wrong that, is, that has happened in our lives, we know that you are working for our good. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And I'd like to just end off with this encouragement. It can be seen as a warning, but I do want to encourage us with this. Be very careful then, this is Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is for us. And it says, goes on to say, don't be filled with, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you and fill you with his spirit. And as you continue in the service, and I'm going to go down back to um, Capricorn Church, I just want you to know that I do remember you often. And um, let's pray for one another. Let's pray for our little bodies and our communities because the Lord is at work among us. And encourage those who are suffering. Just say, you know, the Lord is at work. Even Samson's life was a mess, but yet the Lord had a purpose and he had a plan and it was going to be good for Israel. Amen? In Jesus' name. Bless you. Thank you.